0: Right now at Honda, find your kind of value. With a low finance rate offer on selected Civic hatch and sedan models, there's never been a better time to get into a Civic. So talk to your local dealer and let's help you into a Honda today. T's and C's apply. Ends August 31st. See website for details.
1: You're listening to Errol Parker and Clancy Overall, editors of the Batuta Advocate on
2: Desert Rock FM. Hello and welcome back, listeners. If you're listening live, we're coming out of the Koala Studios here at Desert Rock FM. And if you're one of the many listening outside of the channel country, thanks for tuning into this podcast. Coming up, we'll be having a chat with a famous cricketer and an equally as famous television presenter, Mike Whitney. Yes, all that's coming up after the local news. Thank you for tuning in wherever you are in the world. I'm Clancy Overall. And I'm Errol Parker. And if I'm here in the studio... ...or in the newsroom, it means I don't have to be at home with the father of my newly born grandson.
1: Ah, the father of your bastard grandchild, eh? Yep. For anyone who didn't tune in last week, Errol is playing host to his daughter... ...his newly born grandchild and his future son-in-law. And I thought you said you wanted him to stay on the scene, Errol.
2: Yeah, I do, but I don't mean literally in my own home, though. You know, a couple of nights ago, Clancy, I walked out uh, into the kitchen because I couldn't sleep... Uh, I'd been thrashing around in bed like a carp on a riverbank for a few hours, and uh, I poke out into the kitchen, and, and I see this dude uh, standing there in the kitchen, in the nude, with the fridge door open, helping himself to uh, to my chocolate. I nearly jobbed him.
1: Well, that's a, it's enough to make any man reconsidering, you know, everything you're doing for him, and, and you know his reputation around town prior to shacking up with Stella. Um, yeah.
2: Yeah, and to make things worse, mate, uh, I've had to eat. My own words, and I bought them a uh, koala mattress. It came up uh, from the coast in the van in its little fucking box. Uh, We've just had to cut it open this morning. Uh, It's all rolled out, and it's ready to go. cost me a bit, but um, yeah, look, I just thought I'd do the right thing.
1: Well, you know, for mattresses, they don't cost much. But, yes, they, they definitely do cost much in the sense of buying them for what you described as a sack of shit. You actually said you weren't yeah. going to buy them a mattress.
2: Well, it is a lot cheaper than going to, say, Harvey Norman because, because old Jerry Harvey, if he sees you walk into his shop, he'll, uh, he'll hang you upside down by your ankles and he'll shake every last coin out of your pocket, that bastard Will.
1: Yeah, well, he's, gonna,
2: he's in for a shock when Amazon uh, really takes hold in Australia, isn't he? He is but I went and bought the mattress anyway. You know, after Pippa, my darling wife, she put the hard word on me, and I couldn't say no. Really, couldn't have my daughter sleeping out there in the hallway on a single mattress. You know, and him in the in my living room on the on the futon.
1: Well, at least he's a bit out of sight there, I guess.
2: I guess so, and I guess if anyone else is in a pretty similar predicament to me, they can get themselves a koala mattress uh, using the discount code which I used Nat's Struth 200 to get $200 off your mattress or sofa.
1: Yes, and uh, in local news, we'll keep it quick this week because it is a hell of an interview with Mr. Whitney. Yeah, we've got Mike here just on the other, on the other side of the glass waving in at us. He looks like he's ready to talk. He's, he's got that energy, 110%, you know. He's got that Steve Irwin thing going on behind the glass, uh, so I can only imagine we're in yep. for a, a long haul here. In other news around town, police and other services are pleading with kids to stop jumping into the local
2: quarry. Yes, kids, please, please don't give in to temptation and go for a swim, even though it is in the middle of July. uh, The old quarry has filled up with water again after the rain we had earlier this week, and kids from all over town have taken the opportunity to go for a bit of a swim. But as is probably understandable, the water in the quarry
1: is laced with elements of toxic waste and severely detrimental to anyone's health, let alone the health of young adults
2: and children. Yeah, that's right. I love a uh, good swimming hole as much as the next batutan, but uh, but kids, please heed uh, the the warnings uh, from us, uh, the emergency services, the CSIRO, and the Department of Primary Industries. Councillor Keith Carton has also been pretty firm on this issue as well. Uh, I know
1: uh, kids, you know, at that age are daredevils and uh, you know quite excitable. Uh,
2: But uh, please, please, uh, practice safety. Well, on that daredevil note, uh, here he is. We have the King of Dares, Mr. Who Dares wins, Michael Whitney in the studio, so we better get to it.
1: Yes, here we are with Michael Whitney. Thank you for joining us today, Michael, a former cricketing sensation. Twelve tests, I believe, under two different Australian captains for Australia. A um, iconic character, you know, he became a media icon after his work in advertising as a face for twoies. And... Of course, uh, his job for Channel 7. The last 27 years, he's been hosting uh, adventure and getaway shows for the 7 Network. And of course, Who Dares Wins. If you were born after 1950, there's a chance that you spent some time in your life watching this man on the TV screen, whether he was playing cricket... Or whether he was hosting TV shows. Mike Whitney, thanks for joining us. That's a huge start to the show, boy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's lovely to be here. Let's be honest, you've, everyone has watched you on TV at some points religiously. Everyone in Australia. I've never really thought about it uh, like that. But yeah, look, I've been at Channel 7
0: now for 24 years. Um, and shot a lot of shows for them. Uh, Sydney weekend has been a stable for that whole amount. But yeah, who dares and glad remember I was a ref on Gladiators? Gladiator. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you're ready. That was hilarious. Yeah, that. Uh, but yeah, a lot of time on telly, I suppose, with the cricket. So yeah, it's been it's been pretty loud. The radio has been up pretty loud for nearly forty years now and um, it's it's
2: been a lot of fun. It's been, well, been crazy. The nation first got to meet you uh way back when you were playing cricket. There, uh in the late seventies, early eighties, there um, for Australia, uh, it was an interesting time back then because because um, we weren't winning that much. Um, I suppose kind of like we are now. We're 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 in a bit of a period where uh, except this rebuild. last five-day series in England. <laughs> well, yeah, that's. Yeah. Uh, but then off the back of that, we did have probably one of the biggest scandals in Australian cricket for a number of years you're not going there straight away boys are you (laughs) no no no, no, i'm cool i'll I'll talk about it no i'd like to start there um just to uh address the elephant in the room if um it's a big elephant if alan border if he came up to you as a uh as a fairly young and inexperienced player and he uh and he had a bit of a plan he said all right mike he said uh I've got to get this ball moving. Um, You know, we're over here in England, we're getting done, and I need you to get this ball moving. Here's a little bit of sandpaper. Don't get caught. A bit of Vaseline on the boots, yeah. A little bit of lip balm. (laughs) So uh, if a captain asked you to tamper a ball, would you?
0: Oh, that's – look, that is a seriously tough question. I'll take you back to Trevor Chappell and Greg Chappell. Yeah. Yeah. I mean – Greg asked his younger brother to bowl underarm. That's gone into infamy. If Trevor had have said no, he probably would have never, ever, ever played for Australia again. So that's the situation you're in if the skipper yeah. asked you to do that. The issue uh, – well, I haven't answered the question. Uh, oh. Oh. <laughs> that's a very, very tough question, bro. Because the skipper, in, in my yeah. eyes, always has been – always is and always will be, I mean, he's the boss. Yeah, he—he's. It's not the team manager, it's not all the selectors and that.
2: He's the man and he runs the team and what he says goes. Hmm. So it's a bit of a, like an unspoken code that you always have to follow your captain... In yeah, his battles. Absolutely. I mean if absolutely. I mean, I
0: played under two Australian captains, uh, Kim Hughes in my first couple of tests, yep. and then Alan Border for the rest of my career. I only played a dozen tests, so I played ten tests under Alan. Mate, if Alan had a said to me or Kim, I mean, I need you to stand on one leg down at the boundary and pull your shirt off or oh, what you do it. Yeah. You just do it. I mean, those first couple of the first two tests I played, I was you know, I was Johnny on the spot in England in nineteen eighty one and just happy to be rooming with Dennis Lilly and, you know, playing with Kim Hughes and, and Rod Marsh and Graham Yallop and Graham Wood. I mean, all those guys I'd grown up watching play. And uh, it was a bit different when I got back into the team a few years later where you're a bit more of a mature player. But I could never imagine an Australian captain going up to anybody yeah. and saying, I want you to tamper with the ball. It's, and look, let me, let me start this conversation by saying this. Ball tampering's been going
2: on since the late eighteen hundreds. Yeah, yeah, I'd imagine that to be a bit like correct, a yeah. bit because, like prostitution. Um, well, yeah, you know, like over, over the past sort of few years, you've had uh, lots of instances of ball tampering. You know, you've had uh, there's 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 two dozen incidents of ball tampering in the last ten years, including
0: yeah. Faf Duplicy, Duplicy, yeah. uh Michael Atherton, I think, Virat Coley, I think, uh, Waka Eunice um, got done.
2: Who uh who tried to bite the ball in uh, uh, yes, um, yes, 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 yes. Uh, uh, Shahid Afridi. Uh, yeah. bit the ball, ball on yeah. the ground. Yeah. Like yeah. an apple. Like it was an apple, like an apple. trying to get some yeah. tooth
0: marks in there to upset the airflow, obviously, but
2: Which um which which brings me on to my next point. I do, thought do you, you were, think were gonna punishment... say so which method's the best. <laughs> <laughs> well, hypothetically, what would be the best? Um What have in... you seen down
1: at Petersham? What's, what's yeah. the best <laughs> what's the best kind of method they use down in the park?
0: Uh, look. I have I never actually thought about ball tampering for a long, long time until you hear someone got nailed, until this incident came up. And then I thought, did I actively ball tamper when I played or did I know anybody that did that for New yeah. South Wales or Australia? My answer is no. But I don't know whether, you know, if you're walking back and cleaning the grass out of the seam of the ball, yeah, and if you lift the seam at that time, that's ball tampering. Look, I'll give you a great example of what a grey area this is. Yeah. My sister, who's two years older than me, has always followed my cricket career. She never played cricket, but her, her yeah. and my mum were avid watchers and got to know the game. So when all this hit the fan, she rings me up and she goes, you can polish the ball, can't you? I go, yeah. She went, but I've just read the rules, and it says, if you change purposely change the condition of the ball, that's ball tampering. I went, that's correct. She said, so you can polish and change the condition, but you can't scratch and change yeah. the condition. And I went, Yeah. Yeah. So where do you actually draw the line in going saliva, mm. sweat? I mean or well, Imran, Imran, <laughs> Imran <laughs> Khan came and played a season for us in nineteen eighty four five. Yeah, he did. Yeah. He was the guy that taught us how to bowl the ball reverse swing. Now, he used to walk back to his mark with the ball under his armpit or in the small of his back, just pumping water, as much sweat as he could, to get this ball going reverse. And it worked. Now, we were lucky that we played at the SCG. And pretty much for my whole career, it was a turning wicket. So the ball really got damaged early. And and by 20 overs, the shine had gone off one side and it was hacked up. So we didn't have to. But look, I remember stories of subcontinent teams, and I'm going to name them because they know, the Pakistanis, taking out bottle tops onto the ground in the 70s. Yep. In, someone had a huge nail, a huge thumbnail, into the ball. And they were – you could not beat them in Pakistan because our guys would be bowling gun barrel straight and their guys, after about 25 overs, were swinging it a metre yep. either way. And our guys could not work out how this was happening until Imran came out and said, oh, this is a great place to bowl reverse swing at the SCG. The ball gets hacked up naturally. And you've just got to shine and polish this other side. And it'll go. And it did. Mm. And we were unbeatable there. I mean, other sides used to come and look at the wicket and go, because they knew they were ineffective trying to bowl seam up in normal swing.
1: So it's like it's love, you know. It's like death and taxes and ball tampering, you reckon? Yeah. Prostitution, death, taxes <laughs> and ball tampering. The
2: oldest professions there are. Well, in <laughs> saying that, how it's uh, how it was so prevalent, do you think the punishment uh, has been appropriate? No. No.
0: No way. No, th- nobody else, I- I- in my understanding, in the history of the game, has been kicked out of the game for 12 months. I mean, all these other guys. Yeah, that I suppose are, was, the my, last my- one was warning wasn't it? Yeah, but that was, he wasn't ball tampering, was no, he? No, but that was for? Taking drugs well, well, <laughs> no, whatever was, he was
2: taking. It was that to, his mum
0: gave him yeah, to yeah, lose yeah. some weight. Mate, yeah. That's
2: right. Yeah. The team picture. Yeah. That, was, uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: I love Shane. I really love Shane. I was Shane's first roomie on his first overseas tour to Sri Lanka. Sri and Sri- Alan, yeah. Alan Border said to me, because I was the second oldest by age on tour, not the second, you look after him. And that's when he had the mullet, <laughs> and all. It was a lot of fun. We 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 uh, reminisce about it every time we see each other. But there has been no fine anywhere. But look, this is what changed when they came back. Australia uh, cricket, Australia found them for being uh, bringing the game into disrepute. Yeah, this is not ball tampering. This opens up a whole
1: that's a media door of sanctions. Yeah. And yeah, the media the media carried it to a point where these guys were then accountable. For how the media had man, my sister
0: it. in the same conversation said, "When these three guys get back, are they going to lynch them from the harbour bridge?" That's how she. F- I said, <laughs> "It sounds like it." Mm-hmm. I mean, you're talking about rubbing, a- and for the time that Cameron Bancroft did that. It would have made no difference. That's, that was the next yeah. question I was going to gonna ask. To the ball, no.
1: That was, was going to ask. It, you know, you talk about Khan coming out here and showing you how to get real dirty. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> you'd see the Pakistanis taking nails onto the pitch. But in that circumstance, is that more of a confidence pseudoscience that he's doing there? Is that like superstition?
2: Yeah. Is a tiny piece of yellow 2B sandpaper really going to make that much difference to a... Probably after about an hour. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but
0: for the over or two... Look, I think... And I was watching that night. I stayed up and watched that a lot of that series because I knew it was going to be tough. Mm. I mean, they, they're they a very tough race of people, the South Africans, mate. Mm. They will call you everything and want to beat you up on the ground. They're the first dudes in the dressing room to say, come around my house for a barbie yeah. and have a beer. I mean, they're the most generous people off the field on the field. Man, look at their rugby side. Man, yeah, yeah. Would you want IDLG. to run into Oostie van Oostenhausen, who's yeah, this 120-kilo yeah. Africana madman running yeah. at you? So I knew it was going to be a vicious series, and it was, and the crowd over there. Do you remember Merv Hughes chasing mm. a dude up the race with a bat about three tours ago? Yeah. yeah. Apparently that guy just called him a fucking fat prick for three tests, you know, followed, Merv, you're a fucking fat prick. And eventually wore Merv down. And only that, that, yeah, yeah. And a few other words, only that it had a a wire cover, Merv was into the cover and the guy was on the other side going, you're still a fat prick, Merv. (laughs) Merv would have killed that guy. Now, is that fair that people are allowed to do that? I I don't know. But, look, it was vicious on and off the field. By the time it got to that third test match, I think David in particular – and, look, I've pretty much been made aware that even as they were out after the game at night time, there were calls from the public on the street, you know, Sonny's whacked your missus and Mm -hmm. all of this. So I think – if there had been a bazooka in the dressing room during that third test, one of them was going to try and put that down the leg of their yeah. trousers and blow people up. Yeah. The thing that I thought straight away about it was, look, when I played my first test in 1981, I think there were six cameras at the ground, two at each end and, and two at square leg, and one at each end was a spare. Yep. There's now like 30 to 35 cameras at the ground that can zoom in. There's one for I- every player in there. Man, yeah. So how they thought that putting your hand in your pocket because that's <laughs> yeah. not normal With bright yellow. It's <laughs> not normal behaviour.
2: No. Yeah. And was. this
0: is what happened. My understanding was Fanny de Villiers was in the Africana box next to the English commentary box. Farney was a great bowler. You you understand body language out on the ground. I mean, I yeah. watch the game all the time and I can see a side withering and then two guys trying to pump whatever it may be but he kept seeing Cameron put his hand in his pocket now you do that in England when it's cold mm. but you don't do it in South Africa or Australia you never no. have your hands in your pockets yeah, no. and in and out in and out and then zoomed in saw it they lied about it then the uh, the the other thing I was super shocked about and I've got to apologize to cricket australia i suppose because when the press conference happened 12 minutes after they came off the ground yeah i went Who's let them do that? I've since found out that Stephen wanted to do that press conference and just try and finish it then and there. And watching that press conference, it seemed like they didn't actually get the enormity of of what had gone on. Mm. And this was serious shit. And they'd been caught on TV and it had been on the big screen and the umpires had asked them. And Cameron Bancroft actually pulled out a sunglasses case, a soft one that you clean your sunnies on. And I'm going, oh, where's the sandpaper or oh, whatever? And then he undoes his trousers and drops it down the front. Full screen. I yeah. mean, it was just.
1: Yeah, they didn't realise they, oh, they were in memes right man.
0: across the country by that point, you know. <laughs> so then the press conference, which, I, as I said, I don't think they really understood the enormity of that. And then, well, the shit hits the fan. I mean, they get the three of those get barred. Buff steps down. This is this is and James too's gone. James is gone. The first thought I had but could you imagine sitting the first day of the last test match when all this has happened in the third test and your captain and your vice-captain and your opening batsman's gone and you've still got to play a test match. Mm. Now, because I've played a couple of test matches, I'm telling you now, it is no place for the faint-hearted. And every morning in that dressing room, particularly the first morning, you better be on mm. not 99.9 100 you better be on otherwise you're going to be a weak link that creates a dent in the team. they can expose that yep so i just felt for these boys sitting in the dressing room on the first day of the last <laughs> test and it was never going to be a contest no. i mean they you know they could never cancel it but they should have and just sent us home it was yeah. just a terrible terrible state of affairs broken man well, get to the one-year ban. I mean, nobody else has ever been banned for that long. Players have been fined twenty grand or banned for a game or yeah. something like that. So. That goes
1: back to the captaincy thing you said earlier, too, doesn't it? It's like Bancroft wasn't wasn't you know dragged across the nails in the same way Smith and Warner were because everyone kind of knew it came from the top, and Bancroft was a young fellow that was was taking orders. Yeah, and I think look, if what I've heard is correct, and I, and I can't
0: be you know a hundred percent about this, but from what I've heard, Stephen went over and, and said, "What are you doing?" And apparently said, oh, you, "You don't want to know." And that was the moment where, if that had been Alan Border, he would have gone,
1: "Okay, you're concussed. Throw the fucking
0: shit in the garbage bin yeah. now," and or you don't want to ever play again. Yeah, I mean, but did do you want to go home? But you <laughs> want to go at that moment? Come here. And I I might be wrong about this, but from what I've heard, Stephen then walked away. Yep. Now. I want to talk about Stephen for a sec. If you told me that Steve Smith got caught smoking a durry behind the toilet at school, I'd go, nah. (laughs) No way. (laughs) He's just not that sort of kid. He is a lovely, gorgeous human being who's just got this outrageous talent to bat. Catch, field, you know, let's not forget he's, yeah. he got into the side originally as a leg spinner, batting six or seven. Yep. But he is just a lovely kid, has not got a nasty bone. And he's very competitive, hates losing, played winks. He wants to smash you up against the wall. But outside that competitive edge, just a lovely, gorgeous human being. If you touched him on the shoulder, he, he'd give it that one. Mm-hmm. But if you touch Dave Warner on the shoulder, he'll go, hey, Yeah. And I know that because we grew up in the same suburb. I'm a Matraville boy. Yeah, right. And is a tough place to grow up. Mm -hmm. It was tough when I was growing up there in the late 50s, 60s and 70s. David comes from Housing Commission and he's fought for absolutely – he comes from – and this is – I know his parents, they are fantastic – and his brother, gorgeous, gorgeous people. But they come from nothing, man. They were just a struggling Housing Commission, really hard-working Aussie family. So David's – been a, a bit more of a pitbull mate a 100% like yeah. volume loud all the time and i know this because i've just stepped down as the patron of the coastal cricket club where i've been patron for 20 years this is one of the junior clubs in the southeastern juniors uh, association and usman kawaja and david both played for that club as kids so as the patron i saw them play as kids and then i saw them develop usman came to us at Randwick-Petisham as a 16-year-old, and David went to Eastern Suburbs and played there. Then he came to our club five, six years ago. So I've watched them both develop, which was crazy because Usman is the coolest, most laid-back dude you have ever met in your life. Mm -hmm. Like, he's just so cool, is he? And David, he'll take you on. Yeah, Yeah. he's, he's on the front foot. He's on the front foot. He's exceptionally competitive, you know, in those early days, he just didn't want to hit the ball for six. He wanted to turn the ball inside yeah. out that he hit it that hard. Yeah. Well, you see Smithy and Usman are stroke players. So. Did, that...
1: you, did you see the writing on the wall for those kids? When you oh, saw yeah. The... Yeah.
0: yeah. They were extraordinary. They yeah. were extraordinary. Really amazing. And knew that if they applied themselves and, and kept going the way they were through junior cricket, that they certainly had an opportunity to have a professional cricket career, career. And we haven't seen the best of Usman yet. Yeah. I know how well Osman can play, and we have not seen anywhere near the best. A couple of glimpses here and there. David, we have. Yeah. And just to go back to him and Stephen, over the last five or six seasons, they've scored 40%, Smith and Warner, 40% of our runs. So to remove, that's your captain and your vice yeah. captain as well, who are steering the ship round, and to remove those two guys out of that whole system, there's more ramifications – to how that whole system works than just saying, oh, there's two players that aren't going to play yeah. for you. Oh, look, I think both of them are going to walk away from this moment and really have a look inwardly and outwardly as the captain and vice captain, the state of the game in Australia. Where are we actually at? What did we actually do and what are the ramifications of that? And what can we do to help the game now move forward? I mean, look, David's already said to me, because I told him he plays for our club and we needed to know whether he was going to play. After Canada, he comes back. He joins us for pre-season training at Snake Park at Maroubra. He to- promised me he'd be there. Yeah. He said, if some of your first graders think they've trained hard, <laughs> he just laughed. So he's looking to lead yeah. the way. He's happy to come out and do some of those community hours in the Southeastern Junior Cricket Association, which is four or five junior clubs. One mm-hmm. of those which he played for, Coastal. So that's fantastic news. And he's going to open the batting for us in the first five or six games of the year. Why he's only committed to that many, I don't know. And I didn't want to ask him. But all I know is this. At the Roundwick, Perdition Cricket Club, for the first six rounds of the great competition, I have got one of the best players the world has seen since the war in all levels, hanging out with my young charges at the nets, open to any question and playing with my first grade, who has got some really good young players coming through the mix as well. That can only benefit by asking him what, what, and David's really free and open with all that sort of stuff. I'd actually got asked a couple of times, were we going to let him play? And I, my answer quickly was, well, you know, we have a, a duty to our players as well at Ramwick purdisham and, and, and he is a, a Ramwick purdisham player. But if I said as the, as the president of the committee, no, he's not playing, he's cheated and all this, 19 other clubs would be ringing him tomorrow yeah. saying, come and play for us. So yeah. why would, I, why would yeah. I do that? Why would I let that go? And we have a duty of care to our players. And you want to win, and we want to win. Absolutely, I want him to get double century, one fifty, 100, 300, whatever. Get out there, absolutely.
1: Now, another question I want to ask is: is, is the brand of, and, and we can talk about Warner here. The brand of the cricket is very different nowadays. And when you started, they had the gold chains, and you had the curly hair, and they had the mullets. You know, you'd see Dennis, um, you see Dennis Lilly and Tomo at other ends, and they were Dennis Cowboys. Dennis brought that
0: cricket bat out. He was the first one to yeah. get a
1: cricket bat you know, casting gold and where it ran. and it was
0: huge. Everybody <laughs> yeah. Well you thought if you got one of them you're gonna yeah. bowl like DK, you know.
1: Yeah, and they show on their kind That's of
2: fast bowler. They
1: were showing themselves as well. They were showing that you know, where they were from and whether they were from Matraville or Bankstown or whatever. They had a bit of flair about them I mean, it feels like the modern cricket is trying to uh, you know, mould himself into a woman's day friendly kind of face. Um, get the magazines and, and live and almost have a career uh, alongside their career. Uh, do you think that's that's troubling as well? There's a little less character. I mean, obviously, there's a little less characters in the game, but there's also a little less freedom for these blokes.
0: Society's changed so much. Yeah. You know, look, Greg Matthews and I laugh all the time that if social media had been around when we were playing, yeah. Mo and I would have lasted one season in Cliff, the early days. Cliffy because,
1: Lyons said that the other day.
0: Sorry. Because, yeah. you know, I think about when I first got in the New South Wales team in 1980... And, I mean, 90% of the people out there didn't even know who you were. They didn't know you played cricket. You, your face was – unless you got six for something against Queensland mm. and you got a, a, that photo in the paper, no one actually knew. So we could go out, have a beer, have a meal, unless someone was a cricket tragic, they'd come over and say, oh, can you sign this napkin for mm. me? All this yeah, sort of stuff. Huh. But times have changed. And I thought when I retired in 1994 – you know, I'd, I'd pretty constantly been in the team for the last four or five years and played in the 92 World Cup here, made a couple of tours, West and Sri Lanka. I felt like I was in a bit of a bubble then, but it's nothing compared to what these guys are in now. They earn serious money, like serious dollars. Some of the cricketers around the world are earning 4 $5, 6000000 million a year just for playing IPL and endorsement, stuff like that. I don't think... That they're in as, as comfortable a position as what we were. Yeah. I mean, I could still go down the road when I was in the in the Australian cricket team.
1: Typical jars. Yeah.
0: And it, well. Yeah. Ah. Oh, we good on you, mate. Bloody had a bowl Well, in that one day, the other day, it, it wasn't this sneaking up with a camera and, yeah. and yeah. oh, David Warner or you know someone someone over at the bar and you know people sneak photos and it's really weird now. It's much much weirder. And because they're in this bubble, people think that they're in that bubble. Yeah and I know Steve Smith and Dave Warner have no drama with people going up and go oh hey smithy how you going and he go good thanks mate but they sort of oh I'm not yeah. sure if you'll tell me to fuck off or yeah, yeah. or whatever and, and and 99% of the time that's not true yeah. i mean i have people doing that with me <laughs> i had yeah. a dude last week man i believe this i'm up in Coles at Maroubra junction i live in Maroubra yeah and he goes oh and i went oh shit what and I looked at him. I thought something was on the floor or something. He goes, oh, Mike Whitney. I go, yeah, mate, how you going? He goes, what are you doing? <laughs> I've got fucking toilet paper and stuff in the, in the trolley. I said, I'm shopping. He went, what are you doing here in Maroubra? I went, well, I live here. And this is such a common response. Yeah. The guy went, I didn't know you lived in Maroubra. And I go, how the fuck would you know where I live, mate? <laughs> like, I don't know where you live, man. Like how do you, how would you know that? And and I thought, and then he goes, "Oh, I thought you'd have someone that would do your shopping for you." <laughs> I went, "Mate, I'm a
1: poor ex
0: cricketer, you know." Yeah. Like, so there's that all well. this mentality about about that, <laughs> mm. and and I think
1: does any ex cricketer have someone doing their grocery? <laughs> <floor>? <laughs> oh. Maybe Shane,
0: <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe Warnie. That's about it. So there is this perception like that where I think. of the guys are fine. You can approach them all the time. It's changed a lot, a real lot. Mm. I actually feel a little sorry for the boys sometimes because they're just under the pump Mm. 24-7. But look, I also say this. You want to earn $5 million a year as a sportsman? You give away a lot of that privacy, man. You give it away. Yeah. You earn a million dollars as a sportsman in this country. You give all of that privacy away. Yeah. People want to see shots of you at a bar or yeah. having a restaurant or hanging
1: out yeah, with new misses, Yeah, new missus. Whatever. So but you, you had a bit of profile before you even uh, were captain bag of Baggy Green. You you were in his ads. Was like you were still playing state cricket when that happened, weren't you?
0: I just got back from England in 1981 where I'd been pulled out of obscurity to play two right. tests. So I right. played for yeah. New South Wales 80-81. Yeah. And then decided in the off season that I wanted to go to England and play league cricket. Yeah. And went up into the Northern Leagues in Lancashire and was playing there. Got called by Gloucestershire, who a couple of, well, Mike Proctor, the great South African fast yeah. bowler, and another guy called Brian Brain. And people go, who's Brian Brain? He took 2,000 first class <laughs> wickets as a seamer in England. But they both, yeah, yeah, who the fuck is Brian Brain? And I'm, they're calling me and they're going, Brian Brain's broken down. Oh, and I've heard of Mike Proctor, but so you check up, Brian. Yeah, but yeah. Just this gorgeous Summer. Anyway, they needed a bowler. So I played a few games for Gloucester. On the back of that, Australia was touring, and they watched this one day game I'd played for Gloucester, and I'd routed Surrey in this 60 over one day match, which was really weird in those. They say so you bowl 12 overs, and I'd taken like four for 20 in 12 overs and knocked three ex test players over. So then Lawson and Hogg got injured. And yep. I got this call. You've been added to the squad. So we come back and they approach me and Dirk Wellham, who'd made his test debut on in that series as well. I debuted in the fifth test and Dirk debuted in the sixth and got 100 on debut. And for some reason they decided they didn't want to use Dirk. They'd use Steve Rickson again. And we made that ad with the West Indies. How do you feel when you face Big Joel for the final ball and your blood chills? How do you feel? When a car
1: drives, he runs inside sight. You run like hell. How do you feel when you beat the ball, stretch out on the field? How do you feel? How do you feel? I feel like a
0: police. I feel like a police. I feel like a or two. That was 1981. And i got to tell you, boys constantly still it's 2018 dudes come up to me and go that fucking twoies ad man that was the best ad that was ever on television or or, how do you feel how do you feel widow and i go man it was 1991 i mean it's nearly it's getting close to 40 years ago but they were such an amazing set of ads yeah and they've become iconic, which They're is iconic. crazy. Do you, think yeah. that,
1: do you think that's what put you into your career onto Channel 7 and Who Dares yeah, Wins? Yeah,
2: because and- you didn't really have much downtime, did you, from, from the time w- w- when you hung up the boots to uh, yeah, not, to, not to, much. To ending up on the small screen.
0: Yeah, look, this is what that ad did for me. That ad was so all-encompassing for a while that I'd be out with my mates, say at Randy Wicks up yeah. at Randwick, the old Randy Wicks. Les Norton. Yeah. <laughs> Let, what that Les Norton legend. And someone would come up and go, oh, man. Yeah, because I had the big afro. And I, oh, man, you're the actor on that two he's had. <laughs> and, I'd, and I'd go, oh, fuck, well, I've actually played a couple of test matches. I'm, oh, I'm actually a cricketer, mate. Oh, I didn't know that. So it gave me this profile outside of the game yeah. as, as something else but still involved in cricket, which at the time was just huge. Mm. And I want to tell you all, people go, geez, you must have made a lot of money out of that ad. I got paid two grand to shoot the ad, (laughs) and every year that it was on, I got the two grand plus 10%. So in year two, I got (laughs) 2200 And I played the ad for about seven years. Yeah, right. So for seven years of, of being on that ad, I made about fifteen grand fifteen grand. <laughs> 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 but it was the profile that yeah, it created. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, now you asked me about retiring. I retired yeah. February the February the tenth, I think, nineteen ninety four. It was two weeks before my um thirty-fifth birthday. And that's a real heavy day, man.
1: Yeah.
0: Mm. I just had my ninth knee operation and the body was really hurting and wearing out but you know it's so much a part of your life and you know the last few years of your career you're pretty much in your head and your technique you've got it right and then the body starts to fail you talk to everybody Mostly all the fast bowlers go, yeah, the back half of your career is the best. Of yeah. course, you learn how to train. You learn yeah. how what you need to yeah, do, head right. what your responsibilities yeah. are, where you fit in the team. You might be leading the attack now for your state. Yeah, Bowling, first change or second change in the test side, doesn't matter. Yeah. But you've got it together then. The, back of the... You know, yeah. all this yeah. stuff starts Me, happening. back. Yeah. So, yeah, I cried. I cried a lot. I cried the days coming into that because my then... Wife and I had decided that I'd written a book called Quick Wit yeah. about growing up in Matraville and, and playing the cricket. And at that book launch, I would announce my retirement. And we launched the book. I had some wonderful friends there, the Ella Brothers, who I grew up with and played footy with for yeah, 10 right, years out right. of But They came along and told stories about how they were much better cricketers than me when we were kids, and they were, it was true. <laughs> um, but I announced my retirement that day, and I'll never forget... I was stunned by the outpouring of emotion immediately as it happened because the whole New South Wales squad was there. Yeah, right. And guys like Wayne Holdsworth, who was opening the bowling then, ran up to the stage and just hugged me and cried on my chest. Right. (laughs) Everyone feels it. Oh, man. you Look, you know you've been a part of the scene for a while and I'd played for 14 seasons at that stage. But I never thought that... I would have that sort of impact on individuals. Mm -hmm. And you realise that you do. And these young guys are looking and feeding off every word. You've been around a long time. you played test cricket. You've had all these knee operations. You know how to tough it out. What does it take? All of this. And blokes like Jeff Lawson and myself were always really free with handing the information out. The era before us, not so free. Yeah. Yeah, right. Because it was like, don't let a sucker have an even break. He might take your spot. Yeah. Henry and I, yeah. Henry and I changed that around to well, we're going to give you all the information. If you're good enough, happy days, bro. Take my spot. Yeah. If you end up better than me and you're going to serve New South Wales, Australia, take my spot. And Cracker Holdsworth was one of those kids. Henry and I spent a lot of time with Cracker. And, look, he played a a lot of seasons and was very quick and a good bowler for New South Wales. But I'll never forget him, his head on my chest and just these tears running Mm. down. And then, of course, that made it a very emotional afternoon. And and then what do you do?
1: Mm.
0: What do you do after that? I'm nearly 35. I'd done an apprenticeship at Qantas as a ground engineer, which I'd finished, and really loved uh, working at Qantas and and working on aeroplanes. And I still love aeroplanes. I mean, I still... Read about aeroplanes now. But I didn't want to go back and grease undercarriages after travelling around the world and playing cricket. West Indies,
1: Jamaica, and you'd seen all that. Look,
0: I went on the last long tour Australia ever went on, and I remember being in a hotel here in Sydney, and Bobby Simpson was talking about that West Indian tour. He goes, this is the last long tour, uh, and it will be this tour to the Caribbean, and we're going for three and a half months. And I heard Mo Matthews up the back yard, yeah! <laughs> <laughs> yeah! And it was the last long tour. I mean, yeah. tours just don't go for months and months and months now. But oh, <laughs> what do you do after you finished? I mean, I certainly wasn't anywhere near financially enough to retire. No yeah. way. Yeah, 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 I mean, yeah, I yeah, probably yeah. had enough money in the bank to keep me going for a few months. Yeah, um, yeah. So I, I'd, um, I actually got asked to work for Channel 9 okay. and do the commentary and i went home and a fax arrived at my place and they said tick all the dates that you're available to work for the cricket this coming summer and i just ticked them all <laughs> sent it back never heard anything rang them up never heard anything then i got an opportunity to make a show on the abc out of the blue called great ideas which was about innovation and invention the victor lawnmower and the you know all this really funky australian stuff that. so
1: at that point at that point, you're you've got a profile now where people are willing to put you on anything. Is that is that what you're saying? Like, because to going from commentating to hosting an innovation, program it was really on the bizarre. ABC, yeah, and
0: I tell you how I this guy rang me up on my mobile phone. His name was David Flatman. I mean, I didn't know who this guy was, and he said, "Oh, Michael, David Flatman here. Oh yeah, mate, how you going?" <laughs> he goes, "I produce TV shows for the ABC, and I saw you speak at a function two weeks ago. A corporate gig. <laughs> and." I'd really started to get this after-dinner-speaking stuff together. Yeah. I'd worked out some comedic timing, some really funny lines, um, and listened to a lot of other people, and I was getting pretty good. Mm-hmm. And on the back of him watching me do a 40-minute spiel at a at a sporting gig, mm-hmm. he asked me to host the show. Wow. That's so I went, yeah. That's yeah. pretty. So I, went, yeah. So he must have thought, oh, he's got enough chops to get out there in front yeah. of the crowd and... He was very funny and his timing was good. So I went and I made 13 episodes of this show with the ABC. And it was a really great grounding, I realise that now, in television, because this pommy guy was working for them, this Adrian Brandt. And he was producing my stuff. And I'd do these pieces to camera and he'd go, Oh, that was a great fucking rehearsal. That was a good rehearsal, mate. And I'd think, geez, I thought that was pretty good. He'd go, fucking get it up, mate. Yeah. Pick it up. So I realised that this level, which you think is pretty good, is mm, yeah. that's no. Every no. time it comes back on the screen, it drops. Yeah, yeah. So you've got to... Ramp it right yeah, up. Yeah, you've got to ramp it right up. As it happened, he's one of the guys that went to partnerships with another bloke and thought up Who Dares Wins. Right, yeah. right, right. That Adrian Brand and David Mason, two English guys. So he saw something also in me mm. doing great ideas.
1: And he got you to that level where he could keep you.
0: So at the end of that year... That show finished. Channel 9 rings me. I go, I've been calling you guys for seven months. And I've just signed with Channel 7. So the phone on the other end, how dare you? could you do that, your ex-cricketer? See yeah. Ya. <laughs> See you later, boys. I sent you faxes. I did everything I could. I had to go and work for three months on the ABC, waiting for you to get back to me. I yeah. wanted to do the cricket. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would have been, man. I'm sitting in there with Richie and Bill and all, man, I am would have loved doing that. Yeah. But I tried and tried and tried and tried. And the Channel 7 thing was weird. A guy called Chris Chapman was running Channel 7 at Epping yeah. and I'd played first grade He's cricket against him. He's an ACMA now, isn't he? That's yeah. the guy. I'd yeah. played, he batted number three for the University of New South Wales and was very unlucky not to play a shield game. So I knew Chapper. Yeah, right. And he rang me up. Come out to Epping. He said, I've heard, I know you've done that great ideas. Yeah. I've watched you, Channel 9. I said, no, it's, he said, oh, apparently you knocked the job back. I went, no. I was, was onto them yeah. for seven months. <laughs> they never called back. He said, we'd love you to do sport. I want to, don't want to do sport. Just played nearly 15 years of cricket, man. I had a break. He said, well, we've done seven episodes of this show called Sydney Weekender. Yeah. And if you want to, you can learn the chops on Sydney Weekender so that was I started January 1 1995 it's now end of June 2018 still doing Weekender
1: do you reckon you'd be one of the longest running um blokes in in, in a TV show in this country yeah yeah. I
0: don't know for sure but That's the girls are always that... looking at has there been yeah. any other shows of this genre and it's, yeah. it's infotainment information yeah. entertainment yeah. that have gone we've made nearly 1100 episodes I think yeah I don't think there is. I yeah. mean, if you look at play school and and shows like that, they've got thousands and thousands or of exes. Up. You know,
2: on on
0: on home and away, fowls at home
1: and away. Yeah, all of those, those shows. Those guys all took breaks too. The thing, yeah, the thing yeah, yeah. is, uh, like, media careers are, sh- are short at the best of times. Yeah, that career you've had on Sydney Weekend is probably longer than many careers outside of media. Unbelievable. <laughs> and I didn't. I still.
0: didn't really. Look, we got to five years and then we got to 10. Yeah. And it, probably that first 10 years, I was working really hard to understand what you needed to be a good host of a television show. So I was still challenging myself, you know, can you climb up that tree? So I had a couple of really good producers, Charlie Wood and Alan Dungie. and they'd go, can you get a harness on and climb up that tree and open the show from that tree? Well, I was up there. <coughs> or can you open it? We'll put a (laughs) lipstick camera reversing back the other way. You'll have to wear the backpack. I want you to open the show off a motorbike. We were the first show ever to go uh, HD in Australia. We were a bit of a test case for Channel 7. We've been the first show to do a lot of things Mm. in Australia, but on a very small uh, statewide basis. We're not national. And
1: shows above us, really big national shows, have taken our lead and then put that into... Well, the
0: Queensland you know, version
1: is the Great Southeast. Yeah. And I'm not sure if that's been running as consistently as the... the On and weekend. off. Yeah, yeah. It
0: sort of comes and goes. That yeah. A lot of... I think there might be a Brisbane weekender now and an Adelaide weekender, but no one has been around consistently for yeah, yeah. 40, 45 weeks a year. Every year for 24 years, and the, the first year, which is the 25th year ago... They made about 10 eps to put their toe in the water to see how the show was going to go.
2: So, you've been basically anywhere you can go within a three hour drive of Sydney, then, I guess.
0: Well, it started like that. Yeah. It started like this circle around Sydney, Sydney Weekender. So, you know, maybe. Matraville. Yeah. 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 Foster Tari, out, out, the- out to the Hunter Valley, out right. to Lithgow, Blue Mountains, you know, down to Nowra, maybe just. So, that whole ring. And then, very quickly. Airlines like Hazelden Airline, and there was another one too, which have now formed to create Rex.
1: Yeah, yeah. A little right, there was regional. these
0: two oh, little regional, and Airline. all of a sudden we could fly to to Burke, and and it just started to open up, and the roads were getting better as well. Yeah, yeah. So all of a sudden we started pushing out. Then it became the whole state, and many times we approached the network and say, like Lake Air is filling up for the second time in two years, and in Aboriginal memory. That has never happened, and they'd go. It's in South Australia; you can't go. And we'd already had sponsorship lined up, and aeroplanes, and all this to go and shoot it as a story for weekend. But we couldn't do. It. The last couple of years, that's changed. We've been to Canada. We've been to a lot of Pacific <laughs> that's Islands. Long I, I actually haven't been to Canada myself, yeah. but the crew went over yeah, there with yeah. another presenter. Did that. We've been to New Zealand. Right. Um, yeah. We're really starting to step out because uh, shows like. The great outdoors and stuff like that don't exist anymore.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: So we're the only, basically, program.
2: That, Ernie
0: Dingo's on Mystery Road. Well, Tourism New South Wales know that we're the only platform that they've got in New South Wales now to promote New yeah, South Wales New as a South tourism Wales, place. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. So we're getting a lot of sponsorship. The show's very buoyant. Look, it's all about ratings in TV. Yeah. Yeah. And you've got to pay for yourself and make a dollar for the network. Yeah. And I think it's just astounding that Sydney Weekend has done that for 25 years. Yeah, it's impressive. I was saying, I got to the 15-year mark and that was a big thing for me because I'd played cricket for 14 years and I never thought in my wildest dreams I'd find something to keep me locked in and entertained and purposeful and, and wanted to turn up. And then I got to the 15th year and I went, shit, mm. that's nearly 30 years of doing shit that you've really enjoyed, Michael. Yeah. Well, now it's... Nearly 40 years. Yeah, yeah. The 15 years of cricket and next year at Sydney Weekend will be my 25th year. 40 years of doing something that you've never had a drama getting out of bed to go to work?
1: Yeah. Mate, blessed, bro. (laughs) Absolutely blessed. Blessed. But but, but by comparison... I mean, everyone's, everyone probably in New South Wales and Sydney seen you on the, the weekend, but you went national with Who Dares Wins. And, but by, and also by comparison, that was three years, wasn't it? Three, yeah. four years.
0: Yeah, 95, 96 and 97, we made Who Dares Wins.
1: Feels like it could have gone for a decade, you know. It was, it was pretty much everywhere.
0: It could have gone, and I think... Look, I've never asked Adrian uh, Brand or David Mason if this was the case, the two producers of that show. But I think... When HIH, the insurance company, rolled over uh, in in the, the late 90s, uh, the insurance premiums for those shows course, those just yeah. like went up times 10. <laughs> of course. And yeah. I th- don't think there was any bottom line left in it for yes, them. Yeah. So what they did is they took it overseas and made it – I think they made it in Norway and Sweden. They made it yeah. in a few countries right, around the world right. and left Australia alone. And when it stopped oh, – I, mean, I still get people coming up yeah. saying, oh, when are you and going to make the show again? And Tanya and I have talked about it relentlessly. We'd do it tomorrow. We'd even do a Do You Remember This? He's
1: teasing a comeback (laughs) (laughs)
0: list. Look, it was amazing, and it's regarded now as one of the original uh, reality TV shows. So let me apologise to everybody listening for the crap that I see now on TV. Some of it's just fucking terrible, isn't it? But we were there at the start, and nobody had ever been out uh, on the street with cameras, you know, yeah. daring people yeah. to eat sheep's yeah. eyeballs for 50 times. I think
1: one of my aunties, my aunties <laughs> had to get the lobster out of the, out of the fish tank up in Queen yeah. Street Mall yeah. in Brisbane.
0: Yeah. Well, I'd walk into the office, which was over at Crow's Nest, and they had a, a board a board up on the wall, and I'd just see this list of stuff that they were thinking of, and I'd go, you're fucking joking, aren't you? You've got to be fucking joking. Drink yeah. a jar of mayonnaise. Yeah, man, man feeds shark uh, off the barrier reef. By hand. <laughs> so what sort of shark and so we actually did that. This is hilarious. They made the guy a chain mail metal glove. Yeah. So my question was, Well, what if the shark bites <laughs> bites him up there? He's just gonna swallow the glove. Take his arm and swallow the glove as well. I mean But this guy actually fed these white tip, black tip and grey tip reef sharks yeah. are like a day and a half right out off the reef and I was down there and we are all underwater and he actually fed them. It was it was crazy because they could have just, in those days, I mean, they just would not let you do those things today. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, way, the, man. I remember I seeing those, those way
1: guys way, jumping <clears throat> from those, you took them to Vanuatu to jump I up, went over there, Vanuatu. With those vines wrapped that. around their yeah, ankles. man. I like, That's our next man yeah, yeah, That was
2: wild well, shit. <laughs> Yeah, I can kind of understand now that if I was an insurance man and I had uh, a couple of English sort of dudes saying, all right, I'd like to take this tax accountant from North Sydney. I'd, I'd like to take him over to Vanuatu and tie some vines around his legs. And it's like, oh, geez. Jump him off you know, some oh, bamboo scaffolding. It, it'll cost you. It'll, uh, you know.
0: Amazing yeah. that you brought that up because he, in the end that guy said no. Yeah, right. Yeah. And then we all stood there. I stood underneath that building. Now, the thing about that building is it's on a hill. This steep. This steep. Yeah. So, when they jump and they land, they're actually you yeah, know, hit the and a, go down on an ascent, yeah. yeah. But still, when you stand there and you look up and it's it's not nailed together. One dude in the tribe, the chief goes, "You've got to build the tower." Oh, okay. If he fucks it up, I mean, serious shit. And it's tied together with these yam vines, which they put around their legs to jump. So if the tower's there, the first jump is only about five minutes. It's generally one of the kids. yeah. So he jumps. And the design is that he walks out onto this thing, and when he jumps and those vines pull tight, the little platform that he walks out on breaks and then falls hard up again. So the next guy's not impeded by the Unbelievable. Unbelievable, this thing. But then the last guy who, again, is appointed by the chief, yeah. you're off the top and you can't say no. I mean, if you say no, you are. this is the man thing, the you're hunted passage. out of the tribe, you're the weakest, slowest, filthiest thing. So this dude's up the top and I'm telling you, it's a long way up with yam vines tied around your legs. And this is what they told me, you can
1: can only do it
0: when those yam vines are right. If they're too dry, you can't do it. If they're too wet, so there's only this window that they do this, and it has got to be what, mate. We got back to the hut that night, and we actually got on the carver, the real carver that they made. I thought that was just a myth.
1: <laughs>
0: Man, the real carver, mate, seriously, we were off chops on this carver. But we just talked about what these guys had done, and the women were there dancing, and it's a huge thing for yeah. this island. I've never seen anything before or after like that in my
1: life. Yeah. It was Unbelievable. So you told him he had made the right call? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Wouldn't be doing that, brother. Was, it, was there any other scary moments you had? Any other moments where you're like, whoa, holy shit, we nearly killed a man on TV? Or? Well, <laughs> see, if you remember back, the idea was if Old Mate didn't do it, Tanya and
0: I were up for doing yeah. it. and And in the end... For some reason, Tanya must have got the shit end of the stick because she did about 20 (laughs) and I only did about 14, 12 or 14. Uh, And she was gutsy, Tanya. But, yeah, look, there was a couple of dramas. A a guy broke his shoulder driving through um, a wall of cardboard boxes stacked with hay that they lit up. And he'd never (laughs) ridden a bike before. So they, they trained him for two days just riding the bike and they said to him... Look, if you go through this wall of fire and any of the hay gets caught on your visor, because he had the full fire suit on, yeah. just turn your head and it'll blow off and you'll yeah. be right. So to his credit, wang, 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 boof, through. And he had this big bit of burning <laughs> cardboard. And, and what he did was he jumped on the clutch and the front brakes together in panic and just went over and broke his shoulder. So that was one injury. There was, look, there was minor injuries, but nothing really ever super serious because I've got to tell you, for the time, the safety things around that, man, we were hanging people off cliffs and uh, unheard of shit. I mean, out of helicopters and the only ever bungee jump out of a helicopter in New South Wales or the ACT was done on who dares win and it was done in Canberra. And that chick ended up getting on the speaking circuit being a fucking motivational speaker. Unbelievable. But she jumped out of the chopper in Canberra. So there was one-offs never to be done again. Yeah, and yeah. like I said, I'd see that, that board with shit written on it and I'd go, oh, no. You're <laughs> And as you would expect, as the show went through its motions, what was a big deal at the start of year one? was nothing at the start of year two. So it just kept having to amp it yeah. up, so maybe, up, maybe up, it was a up. good
1: thing that it fit <laughs> <little> <laughs> getting shot at with bulletproof vests but on. Definitely there's this now, yeah.
0: age group of people <laughs> mm. that were maybe six or seven up to 20 mm. when that was on. Yep. And Tanya tells me as well, constantly going – you're going to dare me?
1: Yeah, yeah. Or who dares wins?
0: Or yeah. why don't you bring the show back? And yeah. they, I, I asked those people, oh, you watched the show? Best show when I was a kid. But yeah, much loved. And and Gladiators at the same time as well. Yeah, yeah, was a yeah ref the on referee Gladiators. on Gladiators. Yeah, yeah.
1: Now, we, we want to, you've actually, yeah, pivotal moments in, in uh, TV history. We want to just finish now on... The Mike Whitney Band, yeah, and I'll say that we wrote an article about the Mike Whitney Band. Was saying that it was the Batuta Advocate reported that it was a shame and it was actually a monster, a disgrace that the Mike Whitney Band didn't get in the Splendor, Splendor in the Grass lineup Complete last year, a
2: miscarriage of musical justice. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, it was an affront to democracy. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we said that you know you guys should have had the, the lineup uh, should have been in the lineup for Splendor. And someone left a comment. Uh, one of our loyal readers said. And I mentioned this to you before, I said, I was at a Mike Whitney gig at it. It was an RSL somewhere down the coast. He said, I was at the Mike Whitney gig, a Mike Whitney band gig, and I requested for a bit of sherbet, and Mike Whitney told me to fuck off because this is a rock and roll band. (laughs) I might have said, go away. (laughs) Yeah,
0: but that's true. I think he requested Summer Love by sherbet, and that's definitely not in our repertoire at all. Look, the band's a crazy story. I don't even think about it that much. When I was about 16, an older brother of one of my mates bought a bass. Maybe I was 15. Ray was 17. Within six months, another mate had bought drums. Another one of our mates had played guitar since he was a kid, so he was quite a good guitarist. And we've taken over Ray's parents' garage in Beecham Road in Matraville, opposite Matraville Public School, where we all went to school. We took over the garage and we had this band in there. We had the band in there probably on and off for a couple of years. I never played any musical instruments, so all of a sudden I'm singing. Mm. So we played Deep Purple, a bit of Uriah Heep, just songs that were not that hard to play um, with a bass, a guitar, drums, and a singer. And then when I got to like 18. <laughs> The guitarist got a girl pregnant. He had to go. The drummer wanted to buy a V8 Ford, so he sold the drum kit. (laughs) Like a good band. And Ray kept playing, and I went off and did the cricket thing. Yeah. Run into Ray a lot. He moved out to ride. As it happens, about 15 years ago at Channel 7, this guy says, I'm in this band, and have a look at the DVD. So there's Ray. And he he knew I would recognise him. And I hadn't seen Ray for about 10 years at that stage. So we, we hook up again. And Ray says, Why don't we have a rehearsal? Like a, just a, you know, a get together, just a jam. And I went, Ray, and I was like 17, you know, it's like 40 years ago. <laughs> uh, th- well, 30, 30 years ago at the time. And he goes, uh, oh, we we'll would just get together and have a jam. So we did, and we played about 25 songs and probably 15 I knew because my sister and I have always sang. Mm-hmm. So I sing in the shower and the car a lot. I love it. Mm-hmm. Grew up with the Beatles, man. Come on, you know? Yeah. So. We had another jam and and then about three weeks later he says, we've got rehearsal. I go, rehearsal for fucking what? The band. I went, no, 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 man, I haven't got time to, to, you know, because if I'm going to hook into something, it's not a half pie gig for me. I'm in. And I knew that if I took this on, I'm no muser. It's all right singing the songs on the radio. They want me to be the front man. So they worked on me. And I relented because the band started to sound good in rehearsal. Yeah. And then they said, these are the 70 songs that we want you to learn because we're only a covers band. Probably 30 of them I knew, but looking at the words of those 30s, a lot of the words that I'd been singing weren't the words <laughs> yeah. that were in the song. So I started When we actually hit the stage, you'd get to that spot in the song and go, oh, is it summer or bummer, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. And, and swallow it. Hang on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, now the band's been gigging 13 years. We probably play about 15 or 20 gigs a year. That's not a lot, but I'm busy and other guys in the band are busy. But it's the most fun I've had since playing cricket. I don't know whether it'll go any further than what we do, just playing around pubs and pub gigs. But I'm comfortable with it now. It took me 10 years to get comfortable being the front, man. And I'm really comfortable now. I mean, I'd be in the middle of a song and someone would walk right up to the front of the stage and yell out, Who Dares Wins? (laughs) And I'm in the middle of The Boys Are Back In Town by Thin Lizzy. And I'd go, what the fuck was that? But it was 11.30, a lot of alcohol in the room. Midnight, the out-of-it dust just comes down (laughs) from the ceiling and everybody just goes berserk. So I had to deal with that too. And that was a bit tough for me because I don't drink.
1: Have you ever sung the Who Dares Wins theme on stage? (laughs) No, 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 I haven't.
0: But I don't drink alcohol anymore. So when I'm in pubs that are...
1: You notice them a lot more... (laughs) They're a little more
0: obnoxious. Man, <laughs> I was one of those. Don't worry. So, yeah, but look, it's been great and just another thing to sort of have a box and, you know, lock that in. And there's been a f- fair few boxes and I'm really grateful.
2: All right.
1: Well, I think we've just wrapped up. Have you got any more in the near future? Uh,
0: yeah, we play at the Bayview Tavern at Gladesville quite often. I think we got a couple of gigs there at the end of the year. Uh, Bondi RSL in a That's couple a of weeks, one, yeah. which is a local gig. Uh, we play South Juniors, Juniors at the Junction, places like that. We used to play the Marlborough Hotel in Newtown. We played there for about five years. That's a good gig. They used to line up out the door to see the
1: mic with you there.
0: So I Queensland,
1: you're going to take it to Queensland?
0: Oh, look, the boys have talked about going away, but. I've spent forty years on the road, you know. I just can't see myself doing that shit, which you should have been doing when you were twenty. Yeah, yeah. Packing yeah, just the van the up, Caribbean and... again. For, <laughs> for... Well, I, I think that the mate Whitney band yeah, yeah. would play some reggae yeah. or there, you know. Do a reggae, with Vivian. Album. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that'd be great. All right, Mike, mate. Uh, yeah, mate. It's been great to talk to you.
0: Look, and, you dudes uh, are really famous, and I think my uh-huh. media career has reached the full circle. Well, mate, on the podcast with you, I mate. don't know. Channel Seven's got the cricket, advocate, mate. When we made the band, made the potato, mate. That was it. <laughs> we made it. <laughs>
1: well, Channel Seven's got the cricket, mate. So I don't think your career's gone full circle. I think there might be a few taps yeah. on the shoulder this year. I hope so. I
0: actually. <laughs> sent a couple of emails to some important people saying I'd really yeah. love to do the cricket. I've been at the network 24 years and yeah. finally yeah. the cricket's at the network. Yeah. And, and if I only want to work another couple of years, what a beautiful thing that would be to do, weekender and the cricket, to finish me yeah. career off at Channel 7. You listening to this, Stokesy? <laughs> Mister. <laughs> now, Kerry and I are on first uh, first name terms. You're a pretty good bloke, Kerry Stokes, actually. I like
2: Kerry. Yeah.
1: Beauty. Well, ho- hope to see you commentating the cricket this year. And in the near future, and thanks for joining us. Good on you, boys. My absolute pleasure any time.
2: Thank you. And that was Mike Whitney, boys and girls, TV star, cricketing hero, and in God's perfect world, he'll be hosting the cricket this summer on Channel 7.
1: Yes, a bit of differentiation uh, between the commentators and, uh, you know, a bit of character. Mike Whitney definitely has that. Uh, Thank you for joining us, Michael
2: and until next week my name is Errol Parker you be good to yourselves keep your hands to yourselves and stay out of the pokies
1: yes I'm Clancy Overall be kind to each other
0: Now at Honda, find your kind of value with a low finance rate offer on selected Civic hatch and sedan models. There's never been a better time to get into a Civic. So talk to your local dealer and let's help you into a Honda today. T's and C's apply. Ends August 31st. See website for details.